0: Well, once again, Cedar Street Baptist Church, good morning. morning. I love you very much. And I'm so grateful to be back in the Lord's house with you here this morning as we continue our journey through the book of Jonah. If you were not here last week, we kicked off Jonah week one. We've entitled our sermon series, Lord, Have Mercy. And that's exactly what it is that we need from a a loving yet holy God is is the mercy of God. And the reason I say that is as we walk through this book together, we're going to see that God is merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and that His love has no national, cultural, or historic, uh, historical boundaries, but it points us to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ made on behalf of the entire world for those that love Him and will place their saving faith in Him. That's the love that God has for us, but we also need to look at the judgment that comes before the mercy, and that's what the book of Jonah really points us to, and Last week, we talked about running from God as we walked through Jonah 1, verses 1 through 3. We're going to pick up where we left off and go through Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. And the title of our message today is Calling Out from the Storm. Calling Out from the Storm. And I want to start by making a statement. <coughs> Excuse me. And I believe this statement is true for just about all of us. I believe that we are surprised by our pain. I believe that we are all surprised by our pain. What do I mean by that? Well, when you think about your future, when I say think about where you want to be 10, 20 years from now, you can see with perfect high-definition clarity all the things that may never happen. You can see all types of blessings that you pray that God would bestow upon you. I mean, I even made a short list of the things that we see clearly. Meaningful job. Long retirement, happily ever after, successful children, good physical health, and comfortable financial living. So when I say that we are surprised by pain, the things that we think about, when we think about our future, we see them so clearly, although those are things that are not promised to us. But what's the flip side of that? The things that seem inconceivable or what the Bible tells us, are also inevitable. Living in in the state of a sinful and broken world, pain happens. And when it does happen, even though God's promised that it will happen, we're always surprised. Think about the things that we don't see that can be inevitable. Well, stressful job, right? Short retirement. Marital turmoil. I don't know a marriage that doesn't struggle in that area in some degree. Struggling children. Sickness, disease financial struggle, and eventually our physical death. <clears throat> we, we don't see these things. And yet, this is what the Bible does promise in this side of heaven as we're walking with God, that these things will happen to us from time to time. And yet, when they do, we're shocked. The breath is taken out of us. We don't know how to respond. I believe that our pain is inconceivable to us for two reasons. Just my personal observation. All right, the first of the two reasons why I believe our pain is inconceivable is that we have the illusion of other people's happiness. I call this the Facebook syndrome, okay? You get on your Facebook feed and you scroll up and down and you look at the lives of others who are pretending that they have it all together, that their life is perfect, and so you begin to picture that your life one day could be that way too. There's a problem with that, however. Nobody's that perfect, In fact, nobody's really that happy. I mean, I think there's genuine joy and happiness in our lives, and I I love seeing pictures that point to that, but we're all struggling. We're all trying to figure this thing out. You know, we're all wrestling as we walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're wrestling through this life. If we were so happy every moment of our lives, we probably would not have to take 10 pictures of our steak dinner and post them on Facebook to prove to everyone how happy we are. We would just eat the steak, right? Right? This is the Facebook syndrome. It gives us the illusion that others are happier than they really are, and it makes us believe that we too can be that perfect and that happy if we just work towards it, all right? But there's a second reason why I believe that pain is inconceivable to us, and that's because I believe that we have a sense of entitlement. Here's how it goes. Lord, if I'm faithful to you, you're going to make everything okay. If I'm faithful to God, he's going to take everything that's wrong and he's going to make it right. And everything's going to be as it should be. <clears throat> and, and the problem is, as I've said many weeks before, all right, Christian television filled with many preachers that don't have any desire to preach from this book, they're teaching that. all right? They're teaching health and wealth prosperity. Name it and claim it prosperity. If you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your cows won't die. Your budget won't go south. Your marriage will stay strong. Fill in the blank. And yet, when we actually read the Bible, we see something completely different. Think about the men and women of faith throughout the scriptures. Abraham, he was faithful. but Then he was called to sacrifice his own son on the mountaintop before God finally stopped him. Joseph, he was faithful. But he was thrown into a pit, sold into slavery and wrongfully imprisoned. He was framed for adultery. Didn't even lay a hand on her. On Potiphar's wife, and yet he was still thrown in prison. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were faithful. They were thrown into a fiery furnace. What about Daniel? Same book. He was faithful. He was given over to the lion's den. What about Paul in the New Testament? He was faithful. He was burned, beaten, shipwrecked, and shackled in prison chains until his final breath. In all of these situations, These folks were led into the storm, not because they weren't faithful, but precisely because they were faithful. If you're faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, there there are many blessings, and we'll talk about that later. But you're also going to be challenged in a world of brokenness and sin, and you're going to be entering into a storm. But here's, here's really where I want to hit the nail on the head today as we walk through this passage in Jonah 1, 4 through 6. Here's what's most important As we walk into the storms of our life, it's not how we perceive the storm, it's who we call out to in the midst of the storm that makes all the difference in the world. Because here's our harsh reality, our world is sinful and it's broken. And think about this in your own lives. Every single person in this room is either coming out of a storm or you're fixing to head into another storm. This is the world that we live in. This is the byproduct of a fallen universe, but we're forced to deal with this reality. So the question we must ask ourselves today is not how can I avoid the storm because it's coming or it's already here, but who will I call out to now that I know that I'm in the storm? So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Jonah chapter 1, This will be in verses 4 through 6. Again, Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, and if you would stand out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy infallible, errant word. Again, we're in Jonah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. <clears throat> Please bear with my cough. It's, it's a nagger. It's still hanging around. All right, let's read together here. Uh, the word of the Lord, starting in verse 4, it says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid And each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we thank you and praise you for this day that you have made. Father, we're, we want to be honest in your house as we open up your word among your people. There are situations represented in this church this morning where people are in the midst of an ugly storm. And some are coming out of an ugly storm. And some are just getting ready to enter into one and maybe don't even know it yet. Father, help us by the truth of your word and the guidance of your spirit to understand the beauty and the truth of this passage that you are a God who we can call to in the midst of the storm that you will be with us through it all. Help us to learn from this message. Help us to be pointed to the cross. Open up our hearts and minds to receive this truth that we could respond to it here today in repentance and faith. Be with us now, Father. I pray that you would anoint the words. They would all be yours. And the honor and glory would be yours as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, amen. Again, we have just uh, three verses that we're going to walk through today, but we're going to just take it bite by bite, word by word, and walk through the narrative of this passage together. So right at the top, I want to start with number one, and I want us to see a storm of God's wrath, a storm of God's wrath. Verse four says this, but the Lord hurled A great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Right there, the very beginning, the first four words, but the Lord hurled. All right? This is what we should see when we open that passage. They're in a storm, and not only did God permit it, God actually created it. This is what happens when we encounter the holiness of God. We encounter the holiness of God. And this is a struggle for us. Let's be honest. This is a struggle for us in America in 2017 because we live in an age of unprecedented grace. And we live, in my opinion, in the greatest country in the world. And we've, we've had all kinds of freedoms and joys. And so when we open up specifically the Old Testament, right, and we see these stories of God and His wrath and His holiness, we, we actually put God in our courtroom. And we say, God, how could you let that happen? I thought you are a good God. We need to understand that the love of God and the holiness of God can never be separated. They're a package deal. God is love. And the Bible says in the New Testament that he is light. There is no evil in God whatsoever. So when he creates a storm from his wrath, it is not evil intention to hurt or to harm. It's holy intention that he will be glorified one way or the other. That's the first thing I think that we should think about when we read the first sentence here in verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. The Lord caused that to happen as they entered into this storm. Jonah, who's aboard the ship to Tarshish, along with those who are a part of the ship as well, they're entering into a storm. And here's what I want us to think about and put ourselves in this perspective for those of you who are entering into a storm or you're in a storm right now. You're part of one of two groups of people. You're either Jonah And you're in the storm because you've done something wrong yourself or you're the mariners and you haven't done anything wrong, but you're close to one who has done something wrong. So let me talk about the first one. Something you have done wrong. Sometimes you're in a storm in your life because it's a direct result of the decisions that you have made. And we throw our hands up at God and say, why God? And we got to stop and think, you know what? To get to where I am today in this situation, I'm probably at least partially responsible with the decisions I've made in my life. I have been, in years past, I have been in hospital rooms where people are dying of lung cancer and they're angry with God, but they've been smoking for 50 years. Part of, part of it is, you know what? God pretty much gave us knowledge of things that we can do and not do with our bodies, and sometimes we're in storms because we, we brought it on ourselves, right? Right? And we love the people that are in the storm, and we want God to heal, and we pray for God's healing. And sometimes He does miraculously heal. But sometimes He enables people to bear the consequences of the decisions that they've made. That's Jonah in this particular passage. They're in the storm because he is directly being disobedient to God. He's running from the Lord, and he's going to face the storm for that but maybe you're in a storm in your life right now and you didn't do anything wrong, all right? Sometimes someone close to you has done something wrong and you're forced to be a part of that. You're connected to that in some way. That's the mariners, okay? They're on the ship along with Jonah and they haven't done anything wrong, but their lives are at stake because of what Jonah has done. Sometimes we're closely tied to someone who's done something wrong and we're simply caught in the middle. Now, here's here's what I believe in my experience Most people think when they're in a storm that they're in category number two when they're actually in category number one. They're quick to say, I'm in the storm because of a decision that other people have made. This is not my fault. I did not do anything wrong. But many times, if we think about our lives, we can go back and think about decisions that we've made that we could have done better. But again, I do want to say there are genuine times when you are in a storm, whether it's a physical storm whether it's an emotional or spiritual storm, whether it's a financial storm, sometimes it's not your fault. Sometimes you didn't do anything wrong. You happen to live in a fallen world and the consequences of the world and those who you've spent your time with have forced you to be in a season of struggle and you didn't do anything wrong. Here's the key. Because you can drive yourself crazy asking God why. And what I would say to you is this. There are times where God makes it plain and obvious why you are in a storm because he wants you to repent. We'll see that later with Jonah. But many times, it wastes our time to beat, beat our feet and our fists on the ground and just constantly say, God, why, why, why? Instead of saying why, instead of saying whose fault is it, you say, God, how can I glorify you in this moment? How can I bring you the most glory? How can I draw close to you? How can I focus on my personal relationship with you that you'll be with me through this storm? That is what's most important. That is what God calls us to in every storm that we're in. How can I glorify God while I'm in it? And that's what he's pointing to here. So as we go from the first part of verse four that that teaches us a storm of God's wrath, that moves us to number two, a search for God's help. A search for God's help. Look at the first part of verse 5. It says, Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Let's start with the first part of that passage. Then the mariners were afraid. All right, mariner. Okay, it's an immediate term that points to the fact that this is their vocation. All right, let's be honest. These are not sunburned tourists with fanny packs and disposable cameras on the duck boat tour, all right? These are not people that are scared of the water. These are professionals, all right? Just like in the Gospels, when we see Jesus, much like Jonah, who's asleep at the bow of the ship during a storm, and the disciples who mostly were fishermen are scared out of their minds, this points to the danger and just how amazing the storm is that professional seamen would be scared out of their wits Their mind, they're they're just scared. They're professionals and they're scared that they're going to die. This should show us the drama of this storm. But not only that, we see after it says that the Mariners were afraid that each cried out to his God. This points to the human condition. I, I know you've heard this expression before. There are no atheists in foxholes. All right, I don't care who says they do not believe in God. When your feet are held to the fire, you have an innate, natural mechanism that God has placed in your very soul that you have a desire to call out to a higher being to be rescued. All right? This is in every single one of us, even your neighbor or friend who is a, just a raging atheist who says, not only does God not exist, but I hate the idea of organized religion and all these other things. When they're in trouble, if their life is on the line, they're going to call out for help. Because it's built in every human soul. There's no such thing as atheism in foxholes. No such thing. I'm reminded of this story. One of my favorite uh, teachers is a man named Dr. Wayne Grudem. He teaches at Phoenix Theological Seminary in Phoenix, Arizona. He's written one of the best books in the past 25 years. It's a systematic theology book. It's about that thick, which means if you don't want to read it, it makes a great doorstop. Um, it's a great book, though. I would, I would recommend you actually read it, but... Uh, it has multi-purposes, I'll say that. So Wayne Grudem, uh, I listened to him quite a bit on podcast on my phone, and he shared a story of one day he went on a ski trip with his wife and a couple of friends, and his friends were professing atheists. Now here he is, a seminary professor, all right, he's got a, a PhD from Cambridge and a master's degree from Harvard. Guy's pretty sharp, and he believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been teaching Christ for 50 years. And he's driving in the car. And in the backseat of the car, his friends who are atheists are having this debate with him as they're driving on the ski trip. And they're saying, God does not exist. How could you possibly believe that God exists, Dr. Grudem? You have a degree from Harvard. You should know better. There's no such thing as God. There's no such thing as the Bible. Jesus Christ is just an imagination of history. And then their car catches a sheet of ice. And according to Dr. Grudem, it spun out of control five or six times before it came to a screeching halt on a snow embankment. And Dr. Grudem said that in the midst of them spinning around and around, they heard a voice in the back of the car scream, Jesus Christ, save us. It was the very woman who had spent hour upon hour disagreeing with Dr. Grudem that God even exists, let alone Jesus Christ being his son. But she called out to Christ by name when the car was spinning out of control. And from what he said at the end of the story, they kind of collected themselves and they kind of turned to the back seat and say, did you just say what I thought you said? That's, that's, That's what I thought. It's the truth for all of us. We have it born into us. Whether we acknowledge with our minds and even with our hearts or not, we know a higher power exists. And right here, the mariners are calling out to their understanding of a higher power. There are no atheists In foxholes, in the midst of the storm, everyone is seeking for help. That moves us to number three. Let's look at a slumber from God's call. A slumber from God's call. Look at the second part of verse five. It says, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Now, it doesn't tell us why Jonah's sleeping, but I've drawn some pretty rational conclusions here. Number one, I'll just say quickly that I believe that running from God is exhausting. Running from God is absolutely exhausting. You will not have a lifestyle of peace if you are outside the will of God. And we all know this either because we've been in this or we have someone that we love in our lives that lives this type of life. All right, someone who's running from God, they drink more, smoke more, pursue more sexual pleasure, gamble more, spend more, live a lifestyle that's absolutely exhausting. Because they're trying desperately to fill a void for being outside the will of God. I don't know how exhausting it was for him to travel to catch the ship to Tarshish, but what I do know is this. He's running from God, and now he's running to the bow of the ship to, get it, to, to catch some sleep. He's exhausted. But not only that, not only could it be exhausted, I also think that sleep is the number one way that we avoid God. Or we avoid the reality of our life. I can tell you the hardest days, and this goes for everybody in this room, <clears throat> you've all been here. There are days where physically you've gotten enough sleep, six or seven or even eight hours of sleep, yet you mash the snooze button about five or six times because you know the day that awaits you is a day you're not ready to encounter yet. Amen? Have we all been there? Whether it's a boss at work, whether it's a project where you're hitting a deadline, whether it's a struggle with a spouse, whether it's a struggle with your children, You're facing a reality that's really tough. When people are in a storm, they get awful used to the snooze button. And we look at Jonah right here, and what's he doing? He's avoiding God. He's going to sleep. He's either exhausted or just avoiding God altogether, but he's sleeping in the ship. But what we learn from this story and what we learn in our own lives avoiding God is never the answer. The storm is proof that you cannot outrun God, you can't run from his presence. There is no rock that you can hide under. There is no distance in which you can go. There is nothing that you can do to completely avoid God. If you are out of His will, you will not have the peace that only comes when you are in His will. Running from Him is never the answer. But that leads us to number four as we continue to walk through the passage here. Number four, let's look at a surrender to God's will. So we've gone from a storm of God's wrath to a search for God's help, to a slumber from God's call. And now, the apex of the story here, verse 6, a surrender to God's will. It says So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. One thing that desperation does in our lives, it brings honesty. You try to do things your way and finally you throw your hands up and say, my way hasn't worked. God, maybe, maybe your your way's all I got left. You know, I, I think about my own life. I shared my testimony again this morning to our new prospective member class. Um, I don't know how it is for all of you, but I would say most testimonies that I have heard in my life come from people who've hit rock bottom or some version of it where they've said, I've lived my life according to my terms for this long, And there's no meaning and there's no purpose and there's no peace. And I've shared in this church many times that for me, that was my professional life. I had a one-track mind from when I was a kid all the way up until college graduation. I wanted to be on the radio. I wanted to be broadcasting baseball games. I wanted to make a good living and travel the country. And God blessed all those things. But in 2006 in California, I can remember specific moments. I can remember being in a hotel in the middle of nowhere, all right, watching tumbleweeds blow by in Lancaster, California in the middle of the desert and saying, why am I here? God led me to the most desolate times in my life so I would finally be honest with him. I would throw up my hands and say, God, I don't even know if you're real, but if you are real, I want to know you because I've done it my own way and it's led me to absolutely nowhere. I was finally ready to be honest with God. I was finally ready to be honest with God. Well, look at what happens with the mariners here. They threw all the cargo off the ship. They prayed to their version of God. They did everything they thought was right, but the storm wasn't leaving. And so in absolute desperation, all right, let's not say they got their theology right in two seconds. They're not confessing the one true God of Israel here in this moment. They're simply desperate. And they're willing in desperation to admit they'll take help anywhere they can get it. And they call out to God, or they call out to Jonah to call out to God. And they say to Jonah, Arise! call out to your God, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. As we continue to consider this idea of surrendering to the will of God in the midst of the storm, there's a few things that I want to say. First of all, when we're in a storm, we need to understand there's always mercy, even in the midst of the storm. We say, God, why would you enable us to go through this pain? But isn't it in the pain that we're the most obvious when things are not right? Think about this. If you had a child, most of you have had children with broken bones, right? I was hoping Maggie or Ryan would be here, right? Broken bones, we know what that is, all right? All of us have had children or grandchildren that love to go out and play, and and in the midst of it, something breaks, sometimes a body part And how do we know that it needs to be fixed? It hurts. That's a gift. It doesn't seem like a gift at the time. Pain never seems like a gift. When children are hurt, all they want to do is for you to take away the pain. But there's a medical condition, I don't know its name, but there's a medical condition I've seen that is very, very rare, like one in thousands that do not experience any of those neurotransmitters to the brain. They can't feel pain. And they walk around all the time with broken bones, and sprains and torn ligaments, and they don't know anything's wrong. And so they have actually cried out some of these people asking if there's a way that they could learn to receive pain. And that sounds crazy to us. We don't want to feel that, but it's in the midst of the pain that we know something is wrong that needs to be made right. So in the midst of this storm, it seems painful. It even seems torturous, but we need to also see in the storm that there's mercy God's enabling them while they still have air in their lungs to see that He is the one true God who will be worshipped and He will be glorified. It is good to enter into seasons of pain if it shows us something is wrong and God wants to make it right. What we do know is there will come a time where the storm will be over and whether or not they got things right while the storm was going on we know that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess the truth of God. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10-11, through 11, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every single human being, past, present, future, will bow their knee and confess with their tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. If they do that while they're still alive, they do it to God's glory and their salvation. If they do it after their final breath, they do it to their own judgment and condemnation. And in that regard, we praise God for the storms if it brought us to salvation and we confess that before our final breath, amen? There's blessing in the storms that God brings to us. But we also learn here that our success in life Is in direct proportion only to our surrender to God. Only to our surrender to God. We learn that we can't outrun the storms, but we can surrender to God and call out to Him in the midst of the storm. That's where the success is. That's where the joy is. That's where the lasting peace can come. Not in trying to avoid storms. You can't avoid them. All right? Again, everyone in this room, right now, in your life, you're coming out of a storm or you're going into a storm. Sometimes it's your fault. Sometimes it's not your fault. Alright? You're experiencing physical, emotional, financial, spiritual pain, loss, tragedy. You can't stop those things from happening. But what you can do in the midst of it is call out to a God who's not surprised by the storm, who loves you through the storm, who may or may not calm the storm, but who has promised to be with you every single minute of it, drawing you closer to Him that you would be more like Jesus Christ. So that leads me to our conclusion. Our conclusion is this. We all call out to be rescued from the storm, but are you willing to reach out today and trust in God's eternal rescue effort through Jesus Christ? Let me read that again. We all call out to be rescued from the storm, but are you willing to reach out today and trust in God's eternal rescue effort through Jesus Christ? That, that cry in our conclusion is not just for non-believers. So if you're a Christian and you read Rescue Effort Through Christ, I don't want you to think past tense. I don't want you to think this doesn't belong to you. Let me, let me speak to two specific people before we pray out. All right, number one, if you're not a Christian, this storm in your life is pointing to your eternal need for salvation. Will you call out to Christ and be saved? You may be experiencing turmoil in your life like I did, like others who've come to faith have, because you've not put your faith in the Lord. And he's out of love. He's trying to get your attention. And just like those broken bones when you go to the hospital, that pain is a gift. In that pain, God is getting your attention. He's saying, I'm giving you a chance to sell out to me, to surrender your heart to me, to give your life to me and be saved. You're a sinner who needs to be saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, that's the gospel, the good news. Anytime I share the gospel, there's always five points in it. God, who is loving and holy, created man to be loving and holy. Sin tainted our love and our holiness, separating us from God. Christ, in love and holiness, restores us to God. And our response is to respond in repentance and faith of the one who's done for us, which we could not do for ourselves. We need to put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may be in a storm right now because you've not placed your faith in the Lord, and this may be God's final chance to get your attention. But let me address the Christian in the church here this morning. If you're a Christian, this storm is pointing you back to Christ so that you will grow closer to Him and to become more like Him. The Bible has a lot to say about suffering. You don't sell books or have popular television programs talking about it. Some of the greatest preachers are ones that you're never going to see on TV, but they're faithful to the word, and it's good to know the truth. Let me share two verses with you. Romans 8, 16 through 17. Okay, Romans chapter 8, verse 16 through 17. Listen to this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Here's the key. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified in him. We have to suffer because Christ suffered. If we follow him and he suffered, we're going to suffer in our way of following him. It's part of living in this world. You can't avoid it. But we will be glorified with him if we learn to suffer with him. I'll give you one more passage, it says the same thing. First Peter four, thirteen. First Peter chapter four, verse thirteen. It says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. All right, that's the good news right there. I'm sure you're waiting for a happy ending on this message because I've been talking about storms and pain and suffering for 30 minutes. Here's your happy ending. If you live in this world only for this world, it's pretty depressing what we talked about here this morning that you're either going to come into a storm or you're going to come out of a storm and then eventually you're going to physically die and that's going to be the end of your life. It doesn't mean you don't have joy. It doesn't mean you have moments of pure bliss and pleasure. It doesn't mean you have great, don't have great relationships. But what it does mean is you're going to have struggles and pain and eventually you're physically going to die. But that's not where the story ends. If that's where the story ended, this would not be my favorite book in all the universe. But that's not where the story ends. When you're a Christian, you're working towards the ending that goes beyond your physical life on this earth. The happy ending is eternity in God's glory. And for everything that you suffer in obedience to God, if you're being obedient to God right now and you're suffering because of it, every ounce of pain you feel, every tear that you shed, God's using it for something. God is going to use it in a time of glorification. All right? God is working for you an eternal weight of glory that transcends your understanding here and now. Of course you can't see what it's doing because we haven't reached the end yet. When you're watching a movie, you don't know the plot until you see the final scene. <clears throat> but what we do know is this. Pain in the Christian life always has purpose. Purpose. And if you call out to God in the midst of your storm and you're willing to be obedient to God and you're willing to follow God, it may not be immediate, but you will receive a blessing at a time of glorification. <clears throat> at the end of your life, you will receive blessing upon blessing, grace upon grace for what you've done for the Lord because of what he's done for you. So as we, as we pray and enter into a time of invitation, I want to recognize and be honest with you I know that you're in storms right now. I know that some of you are coming in. Some of you are coming out. And some of you are stuck right in that storm. It's like being in Florida, all right, in the month of March. And you got a rain cloud that goes just fast enough with the pace of your car that it feels like it's followed you everywhere. We've all been there. We feel like the storm is never going to end. What I want to say is call out to God in the midst of your storm. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He, he has purposed that you go through this for whatever reason only He knows. But He will be with you. He will carry you through this storm. And at the end of your life, every ounce of struggle you've had will be totally worth it. Let us pray together. Father, again we love you. And we thank you for this day. Father, we know that the storms are real. The pain is real. The struggles are real. There are people in this room who are hanging on by a thin thread. But Father, I pray this morning that that thread is directly connected to you and your will. That in the midst of this storm that they continue, that we all continue to call out to you as we're coming into a storm or going out of a storm or stuck right in the middle of one. Father, I pray that You would be with us. I pray that You would carry us. I pray that You would help us to remember the meaning of the suffering that we have, that it's totally worth it in the end. Father, if anybody in this room does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray at this very moment, Father, that You would remove the heart of stone and that You would replace it with the heart of flesh, that they would respond to this message in genuine repentance and faith in Your Son, our Savior. And if anybody in this room does know your son and is struggling, I pray that they'll continue to call out to him hour by hour and day by day. Have mercy on us, O God. And we thank you for the mercy and grace you've offered us through your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray and God's people said, amen.